Amen. Amen. Listen, if you're visiting with us for the very first time, we are grateful for you guys being here with us on today. Uh, feel free to come back as much as you want to. Let us know uh, that's your first time. Fill out a connect card. But if you don't mind, grab your Bibles with me real quick. Let's go to the gospel according to Mark. We want to find ourselves in verse 12. I want to read uh, four verses for you, if you don't mind today, verses 41 through 44. Uh, many of you, if you've been in church for quite some time, maybe you've heard this particular uh, passage of Scripture. I want to share it with you on the day as I read from the New American Standard Bible while you're finding it. If you don't mind, repeat after me and say, Father God, I'm here today seeking a word from you. So open my ears that I hear. Touch my heart that I will feel. And renew in me a right mind so that I will do. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. If you prayed that prayer, I don't care what you're going through, what you've been through, you're not going to allow that to hold you back from getting the word of God on today. And if you prayed that prayer, what you receive on today, you will try your best to find a way to apply it in your everyday life. If you agree, say amen. 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 Mark chapter 12 uh, looking at verse 41, familiar passage for some of us. Maybe we've overlooked it, and maybe it's one of those ones that we haven't thought was very important, but I'll read from the New American Standard Bible, the word of the Lord that reads such as this. And he sat down opposite the treasury. He sat down. This is Jesus. He had just done uh, teaching a group of individuals. He's just done uh, sharing a parable with a group of people who are trying to persecute him. And at this point, after he's just won this battle, he sits down opposite of the treasury, not in the treasury, but opposite of the treasury, and began observing how the people who were putting money in the treasury, um, and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples, this is a teaching moment, teaching moment, Jesus calls his disciples to him, and he says to them, truly I say to you, the poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned. I love this last phrase, all she had to live on. She put in all she had to live on. For a moment today, if we just had to title a message, I just want to title today's message, Let's Live On. Can you be seated in this place on today? Let's Live On. Man, I am not going to lie. I am a little pumped. I am a little primed about today's message. Normally, I already got my punchlines. I already got my jokes. I got things that I, I want people to laugh at, and I'm hoping that it will soften the blow uh, and get people involved and engaged. But I'm going to be honest. I just feel like today, this is some straight word. I may not get one joke out about my kids. I may not talk about any of my own personal failures, not cleaning up the house. I don't know. It may not be about my weight today. Who knows? But I believe there is a word from our Lord and Savior in this biblical text today. And when God gave me this word, I was really struggling because y'all know one of the main topics that pastor don't like talking about is what? Giving. I struggle with it. I don't want to bother people about their money. Your money is your money. I know how hard you work and you sweat. But I was excited when I looked at this biblical text because even though it makes reference to giving, giving is not the focus. Giving is not the focus. It's not the focus. How do you know it's not the focus? Because uh, there were some rich folks in this text. There were some really rich folks, and they gave a whole lot of money. But what brings me joy is how this poor woman shows up on the scene, and she gives these two little copper cents, and that equal one cent, and she gives this, and literally God calls his disciples over and says, listen, y'all got to check this out. Pay attention. She has outgiven everybody that has ever put anything in this treasury. You can put all of these things together. Every last rich person that came through today, she beat them. No matter how many of them, they, they gave a million dollars, but her two cents beat it all. I don't know about you, but that intrigued me. It intrigued me because I want to know, God, if it ain't about how much, then what is the truth about this text as it relates to giving? One of my favorite statements that I say as a pastor is, your giving is reflected in your living. 
and your living is reflected through your giving. That was one of my favorite sayings. And some people can hear it, some people recite it, and some people never really understand the value of what those words mean when we put them together. And so today, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that because what I see in the biblical text on today, I love, again, the last stanza, the last phrase, that when he talks about what she gave, she, she gave everything that she had to live on everything that she had to live on. My question today, what are you living on? What are you living on? This woman is remembered forever, and all she had was a little bit to give. But the little bit that she gave was everything. It was everything that she had to live on. No, I'm not asking you to go empty your bank accounts for Believer City. That's not what the text is asking you to do either. No, I'm not asking you to feel convicted about not giving the church tithes and offerings. I'm not worried about that. Because I believe that giving is a reaction to your living. Giving is a reaction. Living is the actual action. And because of your lifestyle, there's a natural reaction that says I want to give. Now, uh, prime example, um, I love my wife. Because I love my wife, she can have access to every dime I got. If I had not loved her, she could not touch anything. I'm not even buying, we going Dutch when we going out to dinner because I ain't feeling you that way. But because of my intimacy, because of how much I care about her, because of how much I'm invested in it, that she can have whatever it is that she wants to have. The giving is not a reflection, is not, the giving is not my love. It's a reflection of my love. The giving is a reflection of my love. When you give your time, your talents, your treasures, whatever it is that you're giving, it is a reflection of your love. I got excited when I looked at this text because I had to study it and I had to look back and I had to examine what was this woman really giving when she gave those two copper cents? What was it that she was really releasing? What was it that she was living on? And I believe that it's important for us to understand these things because it challenges us to live on. It challenges us to have an understanding. And so I already stated that I believe that our giving is not an action, but it is a reaction. The second thing that I want to share with you that I believe is a key point of today is giving is a physical reaction to one's mental, emotional, and spiritual state of being. I want you to understand that the way you give is a reflection of your mental, emotional, and spiritual state of being. It's, all, it's not about what you're doing physically. It's about what you're thinking, what you're feeling emotionally, and what you're feeling spiritually. Me and my wife had a great week this week. It was an amazing week this week. I am not um, always a positive create, uh, communicator. I don't do well. I know I fool you guys up here on Sunday, but I, I don't like talking. It, it, it just, at my home, I want to lay down, leave me alone. I don't want to talk. But um, this week, we had a moment where I engaged in about an hour and a half to two-hour conversation with no cell phone, no distraction, and I amazed myself. I looked at her and I said, have you noticed that I've just been all into you in these moments? We just been talking, and I'm actually listening. I'm, I'm engaged. Don't, wives, don't look at your husband. Don't look right now. Everybody ain't got it like me. I'm just saying. I got lucky. It took 15 years for it to happen once. And I was sitting there, and I was uh, amazed at how much attention I was giving her and how focused. In that moment, I realized how much she mattered to me. Everything else didn't matter. Nothing else that was going on. The only thing that mattered to me was her in that moment. And and it was crazy because she was not used to receiving that type of attention. She kept trying to walk away, and I'm like, hold on, we're not through. We hadn't, we hadn't finished this, and, and I was like, man, this is amazing. We can actually talk to one another. It was really cool to be in a moment where I was giving her the best part of me. It had nothing to do with money. It had everything to do with my time. But what was the difference in that moment versus other moments? Mentally, I was there. Emotionally, I was together. I was not distracted by other things that were going on. And spiritually, I knew that this is where God wanted me to be. What you give, how you give, when you give is, is bigger than what you're physically able to do. 
many of us have always looked at giving as a physical restriction. Your giving is not a physical restriction. Your giving in whatever aspect it is, it has nothing to do with the church today. It can do with your marriage. It can do with your uh, academics, whatever it is, your health. Your giving has more to do with mental, emotional, and spiritual position than it does with physical position. I want to make sure that you see these things today because when you leave here, when God calls you to give in whatever area of your life that you're in, whether it's in our church, whether it's in, in, in serving, whether it's in your relationship, whatever it's in, I want you to know that the reason why I'm not giving is not because I don't have enough. The reason why I'm not giving is because I don't feel enough inside of me. There's something missing about me mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. And as a result of it, this is why I'm not giving to my spouse. This is why I'm not giving on the jobs. This is why I'm not serving in the manners that I'm supposed to do through life. This is why. Because if you were really all into it, if you really had a total understanding and grasp it, then it wouldn't be a problem. Let's live on. But what do we live on? Because the text, the woman lives on. We're talking about it today. We don't know who were the rich people that were there, but we know that there was one little old woman who was a widow, who was poor. And I want you to understand the way they looked at her at that particular time. Widows, if you didn't remarry, you was a nobody. You were pushed off. You were shunned. If you didn't have a son to step up and carry on, and she obviously didn't because she was there bringing the offering to the treasury. So she was the head of our household, bringing that. And I can imagine the conversations how people would look at, oh, that's just that poor woman. Oh, get away from me. Don't touch me. Y'all know how sometimes we overlook people who have less than us. And this is what she's encountering as she's going into this environment. But yet and still, she goes. She doesn't even have enough to live on, but she gives what she has. She goes. She sacrifices and she surrenders what she has. And God thinks enough of what this woman gives that he sits up, calls to his disciple, this is a teaching moment. Because some people think that they have to have a whole bunch of things to make God happy. And it's not about all the things that you have to make God happy. Can I help you understand something? The only thing that God ever really wanted was you. The reason that God has created all these other things and allowed these other things to be in existence is because he understands that you think you need them. But the reality is that he hopes that you will find and understand that all you really need is him. And so as a result, he looks and he sees what this woman does and her action at releasing these two copper cents is way bigger than the money. Why am I trying to share this with you? Because I look at it, if the church is a representation of the treasury, and some of you guys are giving your tithes and offering, I want to suggest that there are some rich bottlers in here giving to the church, but maybe you don't understand how you're giving. Maybe you don't understand how you Maybe you're giving just because you were raised to give. Maybe you were giving because it, it makes you feel happy on the inside. But I want to be one of those people that whenever I sow a seed, whenever I give what I have, I want God to sit up. Hey, y'all watch this one right here. I need more people to be like him. I need more people. I want to make God happy with my giving. Not my pastor, not my members, not, not the local community, the chamber of commerce. I want to make God happy with what I'm giving. And every time I give, I want to make sure that I'm giving God the best that I have to give. Not my less, not being restricted, but when in whatever aspect of life, I want to give him my best. I want to give my wife the best part of me. Why? Because I am supposed to honor my marriage. I'm supposed to love my wife just as Christ has loved the church. And everything we do, we do it as if we're doing it unto God. So God, let me give you my best. God, how can I live on? How can I live on? How can I be one of these individuals that you'll talk about for years to come and the impact that is being made. Look at the impact that we see in the text. One of the first things that I love about the text is I understand that if you want to live on, the first thing that you have to understand, that you must be willing to live on obedience more than acceptance. That's first thing, that if you really want to live on, that you have to live on obedience 
more than acceptance. I told you that your giving is more, more, more about your mental, emotional, and physical than it has anything to, uh, mental, emotional, and spiritual than it has anything to do with your physical. This first point is all about your mental state. Am I willing to live on obedience, live out through obedience more than I'm willing to live out through acceptance? Pastor, what are you trying to get to in a text? When she shows up, her sacrifice begins. And before she even releases an amount, just the fact that she shows up, her sacrifice begins. Pastor, what are you trying to say? Let me help you understand. Her showing up was an act of obedience. God expects some things from me. And even though I don't have a man to rule my life, even though uh, I lost my husband, even though there's no son to step up on my behalf, even though things are not in the right places, even though my life is falling apart, God still expects something from me. And I will not make an excuse from why I will not do what God is asking me to do. Y'all missed this. Y'all trying to make me preach this a little bit. Let me help you understand. You thought it was about your money. It was never about your money. Giving is an act of obedience. You know why I love to give? Because if I can give up some dollars, then I can give God my heart. And this is what this woman does when she shows up. Her showing up to the treasury was just an, a sign of obedience. And catch this. She valued obedience more than she valued acceptance. Y'all don't get it. When she showed up, she was guaranteed that somebody was going to talk about her. When she showed up, she was guaranteed that people were going to look down on her, that she was not going to amount to what other people have. But yet and still, she showed up. Y'all don't get it, man. Some of us are not showing up. We're not showing up as believers in our day-to-day -day life. We go to work, and instead of showing up and shining, we back up. Y'all done been up in here, oh, he's holy, holy. Then you go to work causing all type of hell. God values your obedience. Your giving is way past your money. Can you give God your mind? That says, God, I want to give you my mind. Because I want to be obedient. I want to mentally value what you have for me more than I mentally value what I have for me. The enemy of obedience is acceptance. Because people who pursue acceptance never get to stand in obedience. I got a, I got a point here, and it was good. I thought about this, and so I wrote it down. Put it on the screen. This is, this is what it says. People who are obedient have a level of self-awareness and acceptance for themselves that others don't have. I need you to really understand that when you are naturally obedient, there are some things about yourself that you accept. There are some things about yourself. Pastor, what is it that I accept when I'm obedient? For number one, I accept my identity. I am okay with who I am. I know who I am. And the next thing, not only do I accept my identity, but I accept my role. I accept my position in life. And so I have no issue with being obedient. Okay, I said I wasn't going to talk about my kids, but I can talk about them a little bit. Here, Isaiah is a great kid. I love him. But he struggles sometimes being obedient. He struggles being obedient. And the reason that Isaiah can struggle with being obedient, because I want to make this make sense to you, is because he struggles with accepting his identity. Sometimes as a kid, he wants to define himself. But he does not understand that you have already been defined. You have already been defined. There have been expectations on your life. I'm not saying you got to be everything that I want you to be, but there are some certain things because the Bible has given me a responsibility to train you up in the way that you should grow so that you will not depart from it. Me and my wife had a conversation in our two-hour spree. We were just talking about that, and I was talking about the parent power of parenting. That's a whole other message. We can't talk about it all today. But I thought about it as how much we give into our kids. I sat there and I thought about how my son is all over the place. He, he does so many different things. And I said, I can't even blame him. It's me. I pay for it. 
I let him say he want to play football, and then all of a sudden he don't want to play football. He want to play soccer. I, I, I put him in track. And we talk about, well, we just want to give our kids everything that we, we didn't have. I sat there and I thought about it. I said, man, you know what? I let Isaiah quit everything that challenges him, but only participate in what he's naturally good at. We had the boy in, in, in piano lessons, and because it wasn't moving as fast as he wanted to move, I let him quit. But I'm supposed to be training him. So y'all just missed this. Y'all just missed this. Anytime I'm in an environment and I'm supposed to be training him, it, or it, but that's not happening, guess what it's doing? Training me. Oh, be in the world, but be not of the world. So you're telling me that some of us as believers, when we walk out and we can't stand in obedience, we can't stand on God's word and say, Lord, I'm going to honor you despite whatever we're going through. Maybe we're supposed to be training the world. Maybe we're supposed to be putting some things in place. But instead, because of the fact that we want to be more so accepted. Because we want to be more so accepted, the world trains us. Oh, you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't think the world trained you. Okay. Um, your radio on Christian music today, but the minute your homegirl get in your car. Okay, maybe that's not you. Um, you got all the strength to leave old boy alone right now, but the minute you get home, you, um, okay, maybe that's not you. So many of us, we change who we are just to be accepted. I remember back in the day, it wasn't my wife, because my wife was holy. She was holy back in the day. But there were some young ladies in school that they would come to school with certain clothes on, but when they got to school, they would change their clothes. They would pull things out of their backpacks that wasn't even at home. And then you would see them walking home from school. You didn't have that on. You changed clothes again? Why? Because they were worried about what people were going to say about them. And as a result of it, they wanted to be accepted by people. And so they would risk getting their butts beaten because they wanted to be accepted by people. Mm, Y'all just missed that. How many times is God going to have to spiritually spank you before you decide that I'm going to stay obedient to his word? How many times are you going to have to go through it until you finally say, you know what, enough is enough. I'm just going to have to be faithful. I desire to live on obedience more than I desire to live on acceptance. Can I, can I help you? God's word doesn't change. As a result of God's word not changing, guess what I don't have to do? I don't have to change. But with the world, it's cool today, but it's not tomorrow. And I got to do too much changing to keep up. Back in the day, it was all about MySpace. And before MySpace, it was do you like me, yes or no, circle one. And now we got Facebook. And then we didn't went from Facebook to Instagram and from Instagram or Twitter and all this. And now Metaverse, it's always changing. The world is always changing. And it's okay to be aware of how the world changed. Why? Because we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Ooh, I just felt like teaching a little bit today. This woman shows up, not out of obligation, but out of obedience. Not seeking acceptance, but out of obedience. God, I just want to obey. If you really want to make God happy in your life, if you really want to see God proud of you and see God's blessings flow in your life, one of the first things that you have to be willing to do is live on obedience. Choose to live on obedience, but I will tell you now it's going to hurt because it's going to require you to forsake acceptance. It's going to require you not to be the cool person anymore. It's going to require you to go through seasons where people are going to talk about you. People are going to look down on you. You're going to feel like you're less than. It's going to require you to go through some dark moments. But if you can find an element, an opportunity to just say, Lord, I will obey. And you've moved to the first step of saying that, God, I want to do more for you. I want to do all that I could possibly do for you because it was never about the quantity. It was always about the quality. 
It was always about the quality. So I looked at this woman. And I really examined this woman. I wanted to know what else is she going through because she just, this two pieces of coin, God saw her obedience just through that, through her showing up. I wanted to see what else was there. And I looked in the text in the second principle that I began to understand. Not only is obedience more than acceptance, that I have to understand that I have to be willing to live on purpose more than preference. I need to make sure that you understand that my purpose has more value than my preference does in my life. In this biblical text, she shows up and she does not have a lot, but yet and still she comes out of obedience. And when she does this, she does it because she knows that this is what God desires. This has been listed in the scriptural text in those times, and it was a cultural behavior that the head of the household had to come and make this offering, whether it was an offering of atonement for the sins that they had committed at that time, because Jesus Christ had not died yet on the cross for all of our sins. Whatever the reason was she was given, whether she was expecting something, and it was just an offering seeking more favor in her life, whatever the reason that she was giving, she did so out of a pursuit for purpose more than preference. Pastor, why do you stress that it was purpose more than preference? Because many of us in our right mind would never give up our last. We would never give up our last. Our preference is that I need to feed myself. Our preference is that I need to be okay. But my purpose is God has need of me. God wants to do something with me, and as a result of it, I have to make sure that I'm in the proximity of where God wants me to be. Are you pursuing purpose or preference? Maybe you don't understand the difference. Let me help you. Uh, purpose, according to the definition that I have today, purpose is determined by the possessor. It's one thing that I need you to make sure, and, and some people would say, well, the creator makes the purpose. You can say a creator makes the purpose, but the reality is whoever has it is what gives it its purpose. Let me help you understand. My wife uh, went to pottery class. She was in pottery class. You may not remember this, may, may remember this, uh, but in pottery class, they would make things, you know, form them. It was like the ghost movie. All that type of stuff. And so they were some of y'all young folks don't know nothing about that. But she was forming things and she formed these things and they would, after they make them, they would put them in the oven. They would burn them, uh, cast them, whatever they do. And she would bring them home to me. And she brought it home, one of these things. And the first thing that I said when she brought it to me, oh, this is a nice ashtray. Nobody was smoking. Why is you bringing me an ashtray? And she looked at me and she said, it's a bowl. <laughs> Didn't look like any bowl I had seen before. Can't even pour enough cereal in this thing. And so I looked at it as an ashtray. Now, she was the creator. And when she created it, it was a bowl. But when I possessed it, it became a what? Ashtray. I defined what it was because of the fact that it was in my Possession. Some of y'all don't get it. Okay, women, when y'all go to the stores, when y'all go to the stores and y'all see something that's cute and y'all know that it was created to be a, 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 a weight or a candle or something, but y'all look at it and be like, no, this, you know what, this would be cute here. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all buy candles y'all don't even burn. They just, they become a, a piece of decoration. It was created to make a scent, but you decided, no, this just looks good here. It don't matter what they created it to do. It's who possessing it. Y'all, I'm going to bring y'all full circle now. God has always created humanity for one thing, to be in a relationship with him, to understand the value of who he is. But the problem is that when sin entered the world, possession changed. Ooh, this is good to me. Possession changed. We then remove humanity out of the hands of God, and we allow sin to creep in. And so now there's three elements of possession you can have in your life. One, God. God can have total rule, total reign in your life, but it's not something that God is going to take. It's something that you have to be willing to give. Second one is yourself. You can be self-possessed. Uh, you can be all about yourself, thinking about yourself, running yourself, and if you're anything like me when I'm on self, I self-destruct. It just doesn't work out well for me because I don't know enough to balance my life. I, I make 
a mess of myself. And then the other possession that you have is demonic. You can be ran by the devil, bottom line, bottom period. And some of y'all don't even know this is where it's going to mess your head up. You don't even know that the devil is possessing you. Why? Because you're so happy being occupied by the devil. You're so happy with your bills being paid. You're so happy with your boo that you got. Whatever it is, you're so happy. But the enemy is tricking you because he makes it look good. You're caught up in a spiritual matrix and he makes it look good and you just want to stay there. And this is the problem. Whoever possesses has the power. When God has rule over my life, he has all power over my life. He makes things happen. But when me and the enemy has rule over my life, things self-destruct. Let me help you understand something. I make a mess of my life by myself. I'm not on either team when I'm running it by myself. But when I'm in the hands of the enemy, it don't even seem like my life is a mess. Because I'm not a danger, I'm not a threat to him. It doesn't even seem like I'm going through problems. Maybe you've never been in a situation where you were on this, this, this area. My wife takes me on vacations a lot. I'm excited about vacations. She takes me on, and the first time she took me on a cruise, I fought. I don't want to go on a cruise. I don't want to. I don't want to leave work. I got so much things to do. I don't want to go here. She got me on a cruise. I couldn't text. I couldn't call. I couldn't do anything for seven days. Seven days, she had me out there. On the sixth night, when it was time to get ready to come back and port the next day, I cried. I cried because I knew. I finally realized what I was headed back to. See. I can function in chaos as long as I'm caught up in the chaos. But the minute that I step outside of chaos, I realize I was never supposed to be there. This was never supposed to be what, and so tears flowed from me. Some of you, I'm sad on the inside because some of you don't know that you're functioning in spiritual chaos. Some of you don't know that the enemy is manipulating you and making you think that everything is okay, but it's not okay. And it's not until you step out of it that you realize that you were never supposed to be there in the first place. When we think about this and we understand that purpose is determined by the possessor, this is the second thing I want to wake y'all up to. Put it on the screen about preference. Preference is pursued by the possessed to find pleasure along the journey to purpose. I need you to understand this. Everything ain't going to be fun in your life. Everything is not going to be joy. And many of us, the reason why we pursue pleasure is because we're tired of the pain. And so we pursue something to ease the pain. That's what pleasure is. Show me in the text where God has ever given you pleasure. Give me a biblical scripture about pleasure. Pleasure is a a, a natural desire, a humanistic desire to try to duplicate what only God can create. And so we try to find pleasure in things. Oh, I don't know if I'm really going to enjoy this. And so we don't do it because we don't enjoy it. Let me tell you something. I don't enjoy working out. But let me tell you, when a doctor tells me my blood pressure is tripping and, and I'm borderline diabetic, I don't care. My purpose is to get healthy. My purpose overrules what? My pleasure. No matter how much I don't want to sweat, no matter how much I don't want to get up and go to work in the morning, because I like a check and I love to pay my bills, my purpose overrules my pleasure. Why is it that we can apply purpose to everything except what God is calling us to do? Why is it that we can fight through the pain pursuing our purpose in every other area of our lives but when it comes to God, I don't know, this church don't make me happy. Oh, I don't know, it doesn't feel like the right thing to do. We struggle because we want to find pleasure. They got to have this, they got to have that. There's nothing wrong with experiencing pleasure, but the problem is when pleasure distracts you from your purpose, you've created yourself a problem. When I look in this biblical text, she does not get distracted from her purpose. She is not pursuing pleasure. She's not pursuing that everything will be okay. Pastor, why are you saying? Because there's a lot of rich people in this room, and she's a poor widow. Uh, the, the back then, they had a responsibility to do something for the widows, the lost, and she could have sat there and just begged. 
with every rich person that passed by. She could have sat there and said, you know what, I only got two, two things. Let me, let me put on my best makeup. Let me take my best Instagram picture because I'm going to go catch me a man in here today. That's what she could have did. But she didn't go there seeking anything in the natural. She went there seeking everything in the supernatural. Pastor, what is this trying to help you understand? I need you not only to be mentally strong, but I need you to be emotionally strong. Despite how life is treating you, despite what you're going through, I need you to be emotionally healthy. Can you get to the point where you are in control of your emotions? There is nothing wrong with experiencing emotions, but can you get to the point where you are in control of your emotions? Can you get in control of your loneliness? Can you get in con control of your, your, your lack of love, whatever it is that you've went through in your life? Can you get in control of your anger? The Bible says what? Be angry, but what? Sin not. There's no problem with having emotions. It's natural. But can we get to the point where we're in control of it? And as a result of it, we base our decisions off of more than just how I feel today. What's my preference today? And as a result of it, we honor God. This is the third thing, and we're going to get up out of here. Not only did she obey, not only did she uh, push to live on her purpose, but this is the last thing that brings me so much joy. When, it, when you have a level of obedience in your life, when you understand your purpose in your life, the last thing that you have to be willing to live on is your faith that we have to be willing to live on faith more than we are fear. Why is this so important? When Jesus speaks to the disciples in this text, he brings them and he says, man, this woman has given me everything. Everything that she had to live on. You don't make that type of sacrifice without counting the cost. That wasn't an accident. Everybody else that went in, the Bible says they gave out of their what? Surplus. You know what your surplus is? It's your extra. Oh, this is just what we had left over. She didn't get, she had no extra. All she had was what she had. And so she gave out of what she had, and it was everything that she gave. Why was this so important? Because it shows us that through her giving, she was believing. It showed us that she lived off of faith more than fear. Some of us struggle. We struggle. Just living from one Friday to the next Friday. She didn't know where her next dollar was coming from. The way the Bible describes her as a widow woman, it doesn't describe her as a woman with a bunch of land. It doesn't describe her as somebody that had a prospect, a Boaz waiting around the corner. She was a widow woman with nothing. But she made her life everything because she made it about God. She shows up on the scene. She gives her two little coins that she has. And as a result of it, God says, you've given me your all. This is what faith looks like. She did not drive up and show up and give that day and say, you know what, I'm going to give this. And if I die, I die. This is not like the widow woman that was dealing with Elijah. She says, I'm just going to make my last cake and die. Yeah. She does not have a death wish on her life. She is predestined to live. She has a mindset that this is not the end for me. This is the beginning for me. I'm going to do what God expects of me out of obedience. I'm going to pursue the purpose that he has for me. And as a result of it, when the enemy tries to distract me, I'm going to stand on faith, not on fear. I'm not going to allow what could happen to distract me from obeying God. You know what? How many blessings have you missed out on just because the devil told you it could happen? You could be disappointed. They could hurt your feelings. They could say no to you filling out the application and getting the job. No to you getting a raise. How many times has God spoken and said, this is what I'm expecting of you, but your fear has trumped your faith. And as a result of it, you struggle to give God your best. This is bigger than money. This is life. Because when you learn to live out your giving in every aspect, money don't even matter anymore. Why was this woman able to show up and give these two copper pieces? Because money didn't even matter. What mattered to her was bigger than the money. 
And as a result of it, she just did. It was going through the most. Can I help you understand something? When you live like this woman lives, you're not even in pain about your sacrifice. It doesn't hurt you to show up on Sunday morning. It doesn't hurt you to serve on a Wednesday night. It doesn't hurt you to give. It doesn't hurt you to sit down and have a conversation with your spouse. It doesn't hurt you to do what you're supposed to do in the workplace. It does not hurt you when you're living a life that says, I want to live on obedience. I want to live on, on purpose. I want to live on faith. I want to live on faith. I'm not going to allow fear to drive me. I'm not going to allow fear to hinder me from being the best version of myself. There's a lot of things that I am grateful that I am a spiritual fool for. Because being a spiritual fool, I just trust. God say, do, I do. I'm grateful that God has not made me smart enough where I try to battle back and forth with him. Because I don't get to miss out on a lot of great blessings that God gives me. I don't get to miss out on those things because I'm willing to take that jump and I'm willing to take obey. It's, it's some things that God is asking you to do right now in this season, in this exact moment. And you don't understand that, yes, it's going to be a period of suffering. Yes, it's not going to seem like it's amounting to everything. But two years from now, you're going to need this. This is going to be the ram in the bush that I created for you. But you can't even experience it and prepare for it because you won't walk by faith. You won't start that business. You won't enter this relationship that God is telling you to enter. You won't join this ministry. You won't pursue this academic uh, enrichment. You won't go up for the next level. You won't ask for a raise. You're too scared of what people are going to say about you. You're too afraid of what you're going to lose that you allow the enemy to show you a whole bunch of what you cannot do. And you forget that it's his words that says that he knows the plans that he has for you. You forget that it's his words that says no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You forget that it's his words that said that you're the head and not the tail, the lender and not the borrower. You forget that God has already spoken life into you. And as a result of it, you give in to fear. I read this text and I, and I, I was looking at it and I was so mad for a moment at God because it's like a good book. Uh, it just ends there. After that, it goes to chapter 13. We're moving on to a whole nother conversation. Wait, Jesus. You have just revealed all of this to me. And it left me with a question. What happened next? What happened next? And so I had to think spiritually and I had to live, think internally. And I began to look at the last words of this text. All she had to live on. She gave all she had to live on. Well, she lived on. Well, how did she live on? Because her obedience, her pursuit of purpose, her desire to operate on faith, y'all gonna, gonna shout about this one. All these things, cameraman, if you ain't got it, it's on you. I don't care. All these things made Jesus stand up. Y'all come here. Look at this. Look what she just did. She becomes a conversation piece. Oh, y'all missed it. It's impossible for her life to be limited to failure now. Because she's now a conversation piece. Oh, I feel happy in my spirit. I don't know how he blessed her. I don't know when he blessed her. But I do know she left her not the same. She came in poor, but she left balling. She came in with problems, but she understood all purpose. 
Whatever it is, because God saw more than just her two little coins. God saw she's obedient. She knows who she is. And as a result of it, he stands up and he has a conversation. Why? Because I can do something with that. Ooh, y'all, y'all don't get it. He sat there and watched everybody else give and didn't bust a grape. But she comes and gives her obedience, gives on her purpose, gives out of faith. And he says, I can do something with that. Nobody else is a topic of discussion, but I can do something with that. What is it in your life that you need to live on? What is it that you're missing out on that God is saying, you know what, I want to do something with that? Take the little bit that you have, and I want to do something with it. It's bigger than your money. Have you given God your heart to say, you know what, I want to live on. I want to do something with that. I want to, I want to be more. I want to reach more. I want to impact more. God, I want to be everything that you have created me to be. How will you live on from this day? I studied this text, and I began to look at it, and I just said to myself, if nothing else, I have to live a life that's built on obedience, purpose, and faith. It's not built on how much money is in my bank account because that will fluctuate. It's not built on how I feel because that will fluctuate. It's not built on how many people will accept me because that will fluctuate. But what I have control over is an understanding that I have to be obedient, being aware that God has a purpose for me, and operating in the faith that he's going to do more for me. I love this in this text because Jesus ends it just like that. Because Jesus reminds us that nothing else matters to him except you. That's all that matters to him. You matter to God. And the question is, can you wrap your head around that enough that you forget about being accepted, that you forget about having your preferences and likes and things that you want, and that you stop allowing the enemy to make you afraid, and you remind yourself that if I matter to God this much, then he needs to matter to me. I decided that I want to live on my love for God, because if I live on my love for God, then I will never have a problem with obeying him. I never have a problem pursuing his purpose, and I'll never have a problem believing in him. He has never let me down, nor will he ever let me down. So this little widow woman that so many people have overlooked, that we have never got to know her name, she lives on. And just as she lives on through the biblical text on today, you will live on too. Whatever God is trying to do in your life, whatever God is asking you, take this leap of faith with me, honor me, believe in me. Whatever it is that he's speaking and he's saying to you that you're not doing, that you're not willing to do, don't allow the enemy to make you think it's going to be the death of you. Understand and believe inside that this is just the beginning. I will live on. My story does not end here. That's my prayer for you today. My prayer is that your families live on, your finances live on, your health lives on, your faith, your mental, spiritual, emotional state. I pray that it lives on. The only way that it can live on is through Christ Jesus. It's amazing because God sent his only begotten son. He accepted. That was an act of obedience. His act of obedience left, lift, lifted him and left him to live out his purpose, to give his life so that we can have everlasting life. And when it came that time for him to face that cross, when it came time for him to experience that thing, he allowed his faith to be the fuel that allowed him to function. Faith was the fuel Faith is what gives you the power to fight on. And it was his faith in his darkest hours that allowed him to be crucified so that we could have everlasting life. I'm not asking you to do something that I do. I'm asking you to do something that God himself has done. 
if Christ is the living example of how we should live, if we can see his act of obedience, if we can see him living out his purpose, if we can see him using faith, that one day some of us will accept him as our personal Lord and Savior. If we can embrace those facts and it worked for him because he lived on. He didn't die on that cross and stay dead. The Bible says that he was laid in a borrowed tomb and that he rose again so that we can have everlasting life. God loves you so much that he paid the price so that you can live on. So why leave here today and make a decision that is counterproductive to what God's plan is for you? We're grown. Everybody's going to do whatever it is that they want to do. But you have to make a decision. God, will I obey you? God, do I, do I hear, hear you when it relates to my purpose? And do I have enough faith to continue to fight on? And if you do, you will give God everything that you have. And then you'll realize how much more that he will give you. Make yourself. That's everything that you have. Because your money is not even your money. If you don't believe me when the whole uh, Russia situation happened and Iran was going through everything that they were going through, Ukraine was going through everything that they were going through, the money market shut down. People had money in the bank, couldn't even use it. Your debit card, it's not what's going to keep you. If everything crashes, guess what? We all the same. You better hope you know how to start a fire. But the one thing that we have to hold on to is God. So whatever it is that you think is dead in your life, whatever you're thinking that may be over that you don't have enough, know that you have everything you need as long as you have God. And when you live a life like that, you have nothing else to worry about. Let me pray for you on today. Father God, I thank you for this word that was able to flow. I thank you for the lives that were impacted. I pray that these words are seeds in the life of your people that will sprout into some amazing things. God, use us. Let us live on. Let us be that giver in whatever way that we can that causes you to stand and say, hey, look at this. God, let us give you our best and not our less. And we will honor you in every way possible. And all of God's people said, amen. Listen, do me a favor, stand around the room. I like to do this. I'm glad that we have more space now and I always want to give this opportunity. I would be remiss. It would be all my fault if I allowed anybody to leave here today without giving them the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior is simply and is an answer to a life full of sin. It's an opportunity for you to say, you know what, I know my life is a mess. I know that I don't make the best decisions every day, but I want better. I want better. And if all I have to do is say yes, then why can't I give it a try? Many of us have tried so 